0: While we were on the road, we discovered something about the word ally. It holds a different weight in the South than it does on the more liberal coasts.
1: Well, I've been a lifetime ally. Um,
0: I'm straight. Depending on where you're from, you might understand this already. I often hear the word ally used dismissively, like, oh, you're an ally? Big deal. Because around New York City, it's not such a big deal. And in many circles, it's pretty much seen as the bare minimum. But somewhere like Oklahoma, it really matters. Because it's not necessarily a given.
1: I grew up at a time where coming out was a big deal. It was unsafe. It was dangerous. This is Sarah Morris,
0: a former bartender at Yellow Brick Road Pub, or YBR for short. A lesbian bar in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: And even as a kid, because the way I grew up, like... That was sanctity, and it was my job to protect that, and I never I never let that go.
0: Decades before she started working at YBR, Sarah basically grew up around queer women.
1: My mom was a PE teacher. <laughs> um, so in all of that cliched fashion, most of her friends were lesbians. So I just grew up with the community that was part of my life and no one ever identified it. No one was like these people are lesbians. Like I just had I remember being like told me like wait a minute, Pam and Carmen aren't roommates. Remember Tracy, the owner of Frankie's from our last
0: episode? She talked about how in the 80s she had to hide her identity or risk losing her job as a teacher. Well, like Tracy, this group of gym teachers couldn't come out to the wider community. And Sarah's mom took
1: that very seriously. My mom grew up at a time that you didn't out people. That didn't happen because uh, it was dangerous. So I just remember her looking, you'll have to ask Pam. But that was the kind of sanctity that the community was for me. Like, this was not, these are our friends and we love them and the world might not. So we have to make sure to love them extra and to protect them from what won't love them.
0: Although Sarah's mom was
1: straight, She had a profound connection with her LGBT colleagues. So she spent most of her time with gay people. So growing up in Oklahoma, there's an expectation of like femininity and a sort of male privilege that I wasn't raised with. Like I just didn't get that memo um, because that wasn't who my mom was. So I think she was always different enough that she just fit in better. And that was her home. So it was mine.
0: So when Sarah started bartending at YBR in 2014, being part of that community was nothing new to her. But it was a little bit of an adjustment for her queer customers. At first, one of YBR's regulars would give her a hard time about being straight.
1: Before COVID, you could walk all the way up to the bar on the other side of the peninsula in order. And she would stand there and then yell at regulars on the other side of me, like just over me, to talk shit about the straight girl. (laughs) Like not subtle at all. Until one night, Sarah tried talking to her about it, and we got to talk about that for a little bit. And there were so many points that, like that, straight privilege would show. It was scary for her to have me here because she was concerned that someone was going to yell at her for using the wrong bathroom. And I was like, "They're one holers. I don't care. I'm going to whichever one's open. I hope you are too." Though Sarah's intentions of allyship were pure
0: they couldn't immediately be perceived by patrons, who weren't used to seeing straight people in their safe space. But this conversation really helped Sarah understand her role in the YBR community.
1: It hadn't occurred to me when I started that just being very feminine presenting and straight would be a safety threat for them. And like... I think it increased my desire to gatekeep. Like, if I, who was never consciously a threat, and certainly never would have been, if that's unnerving, what the hell is it when somebody else walks in? When the three guys in camo come in, what is that feeling? Because you could feel the air shift in the bar. It
0: didn't take long for Sarah to prove herself to the rest of the people at YBR. She just had to show them she was genuine in her use of the word ally.
1: I was just me, and that worked out over time. Um, it was only a few weeks that people had a hard time with it, and then it was okay. And I think once people knew I was an ally, it was all right.
0: This is Cruising a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm traveling to each one of them with my two friends and chosen family. This is stop number 14, YBR. No one ever talked about gay people in 1970s Chakota, Oklahoma. At least not to Kevy Smith, the original owner of YBR.
2: I never heard about it. No one It was never talked about it. Just like I said, I didn't even know it existed.
0: But she always knew.
2: Uh, Well, I've been out since I was born. You know, I always knew I was gay. But honestly, I thought something was wrong with me because I'd never heard of gay people. I really thought maybe I was mentally ill. (laughs) It was horrible. I seriously thought there was something wrong with me. That was in the early, uh, well... At 10, when I was 10, it was 1970.
0: Back in the 70s, Kevy was able to slip through childhood without ever even hearing of another gay person. For reference, the first gay character on primetime television had only just showed up on an episode of All in the Family in 1971. Oh, Steve, you're going to want to bust them wide open when I tell you this. I don't know where he gets these brainstorms, but he
3: thinks that you're the... Can't even
0: say it, you yeah, Steve. <laughs> He's right, Arch. Huh? <laughs> One of the first lesbian characters on mainstream television was in a 1986 episode of Golden Girls.
1: Not
2: Lebanese, Blanche. <laughs> lesbian. 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 <laughs> lesbian.
1: Isn't that where one moment and another... We already know what it means.
0: In short, queer representation was few and far between throughout Kevvy's childhood, especially in rural Oklahoma. Kevvy didn't realize other gay people existed until she moved to Tulsa in 1978 at 19 years old.
2: And that's when I finally heard someone
0: say that I wasn't alone. She'd gotten a job at a printing company.
2: I kept noticing these two girls, and I'm like, they look like me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, they kind of caught on that I was gay. And we were in the lunchroom one time, they said, hey, you want to go to this bar with us after work? And I said, well, of course, you don't have to be 21, but they said we could get in anyway. And so we got in the car, and she turned around and looked at me, and she says, we're going to a gay bar. I'm like, what? <laughs> she goes, there's more of this out there than you know. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my god, somebody could finally talk to you about it. I actually I started crying. <laughs> because then I knew I wasn't sick in the head, you know, and there wasn't something wrong with me. It was just like, oh my God. It's just, yeah, a lot of relief. So when I went to that first bar, I felt like I was home just knowing that I wasn't the only one.
0: And the Tulsa gay bars would continue to be really important to Kevie. So much so that two decades later, Kevy bought what had previously been a drag bar called Lola's. It was off of Cherry Street in downtown Tulsa. And her first challenge as a new bar owner was to come up with a name.
2: I mean, one of the biggest things that I was contemplating was the name. But across the street was a business called Oz. It was kind of odd. Uh, Oz was a great little head shop, you want to call it that. But they also had a building next to them that was named Emerald City. And uh, Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie. So I wanted to correlate it with something that had to do with that. And it took us about three months to name it. <clears> oh, <throat> you know, Dorothy's came out, you know, Tin Man, you name it, Munchkin Land. We did all kinds of stuff.
0: At the time, Kevy was working at an auto parts shop. But I worked, and this is kind of funny.
2: I worked with the most homophobic man I've ever worked, you know, been around in my life. And he would sit hear us talking about it every day, how what to name it. <laughs> I remember him slapping his hand down on the table and goes, What the hell are they walking on through this whole movie? Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. And you could have heard a pin drop. And I just kind of looked over at him and I said, you know what, I think you just named the bar. But you know what's funny? He was there on grand opening for one beer and left. So I think he felt a little pride in naming that bar.
0: During the months it took Kevy to name the bar, she was busy remodeling the place.
2: A lot of people knew that we were remodeling. And I used to get messages all the time and people would come over and go, when are you going to open this bar? You know, they kept waiting and waiting.
0: And then, on April Fool's Day of 2000, Kevy impulsively decided the bar was ready.
2: Matter of fact, I just got a phone call and it said, when are you going to open this bar? And I looked around and I said, you guys ready to open? And I was like, sure. So we, I think it was like 6, 7 o'clock that night. We didn't even have our sign out yet. It was just the tower with lights on it, with rainbow lights on it. And I don't know, word got around and that place was packed out the very first night. It was pretty cool.
0: From the beginning, Kevy wanted YBR to be inclusive.
2: And it's not really that I opened it as a lesbian bar. I opened it up to the public, you know, for anyone, because I felt like we were being too segregated in Tulsa. We needed to open it up to everybody. It did end up being 80% lesbian, for sure, but we had straight people in there. We had all kinds of genders in there. We had a blast. And and everybody got along really good.
0: Kevi worked at the bar herself for the first year it was open and then took on more of a backseat role as owner for another five years.
2: I know a lot of people think you just buy a bar and there it is. No, that's not how it is. You really have to work your ass off. You know, it's it's running a bar is not easy. You gotta put work into it. You gotta stay on top of it every single day.
0: After six years of owning YBR bar, Kevy was ready to sell. I got
2: tired and at that point in time with gay bars, anybody said they were gonna sell something, you had people around wanting it. So I there wasn't a problem with people wanting to buy the bar. So it just, you know, happened pretty quick, As
0: actually. Kevy still pops in from time to time, but not often.
2: Well, you know, again, you know, things have changed through the years. And we've all gotten older. You know, I'm up there in age. A lot of people are up there in age that used to go in there. and It's completely different from when I had it.
0: Today, it's kind of difficult to find YBR on the Internet. They don't have a website. And their Google Map listing just says YBR Pub, so you have to already know about the acronym to recognize it. But in person, you can spot YBR Bar from at least a block away. One whole side of the building is painted a bright yellow, and a large yellow sign on a post in front of the door reads YBR Bar. Oz, the head shop, is still open and operating across the street from YBR. It's an adorable brick building with turquoise trim and a white awning.
3: A specialty gift shop um, with
1: your mind in mind since 69.
0: This is Billy, a longtime Oz employee.
1: Uh, We carry a lot of bohemian stuff, uh, smoking accessories, unique gifts, uh, starling silver jewelry, which is amazing, uh, crystals stones, herbs, all that kind of cool stuff for metaphysical interests, uh, books, tarot cards, a lot of unique gifts.
0: I popped inside to see if I could find out more about the origin of this Wizard of Oz themed block. The shop, originally called Land of Oz, was opened in 1969 by a man named Leon Newton.
1: I know I worked here back in like 2002, 3, 4 ish with him before he passed away
3: he was a great guy very animated very eccentric but a heart of gold we've got a little bit of information in our entryway about him
0: in the doorway when you first walk in there's a framed yellowing newspaper article from 1989. it's titled a 20-year struggle the oz odyssey according to the article Leon was a law student when he sold his VW Bug, took the cash, and rented the duplex that Oz still runs out of to this day. He would live in the back and do business out of the front. Leon's first stock of merchandise came from Hawaii. He was in the Air National Guard at the time and brought two boxes back on a supply plane. And the name? That came from his roots. Leon's quoted in the article explaining, I'm from nowhere, Kansas. It kind of jived. But let's head back across the street to YBR. Inside, another yellow sign catches your eye. This one's handmade. It says, YBR, yeah, you're in a gay bar. Enjoy. The place has a classic dive bar feel. There's graffiti-filled bathrooms and mismatched furniture on the small patio out back. A working vintage cigarette machine by the bar is paired with lingering clouds of smoke because, as with many bars in Oklahoma, smoking is allowed inside. We visited on a Monday, and every Monday, the bar serves free pizza for patrons.
3: It's Pie Hole Pizza, so yeah, they come in and they're all regulars and we order pizza from them on Mondays, and so everybody, like, can have free pizza.
0: That was Amanda Sternke, YBR's general manager. She greeted us when we arrived and showed us around. After a few slices, we actually ended up staying pretty late that night. We met some YBR regulars and played pool and darts with Hi. them in the back room.
3: This is Erica. Hi, this is me. I'm Sarah. Hi. One of You're
0: those regulars was Erica Alford. She's been coming to YBR for 13 years.
4: I went through a really messy breakup, and I came up here and uh, knew it was a lesbian bar, so I come up here to hang out and met a bunch of friends and been coming ever since.
0: Before her breakup, Erica had been living with her partner and her partner's kids.
4: Well, I mean, I was in a four-bedroom house, and then all of a sudden it went from six people there to just two, you know. And so then I would come here, you know, and... Laugh and joke a little bit, you know, instead of just going to work and going home and going to work and going home to nobody when I'm used to coming home to six people. Additionally, Erica's whole community had kind of hinged on her ex.
0: They had gone out together and met people together. And once they broke up, she realized she didn't really have a queer community outside of that.
4: When you meet someone that you really care for and that person is your strength from being who you are, like... If I feel gay and happy to be gay with this person and they break up with you, you really have nowhere else to go because it's the only gay community that you know. So having a place like this is awesome because, like, I can not have to have you to feel like myself. I can come and find friends and hang out. So, you know, we need places like that.
0: That's why that first night at YBR was so impactful for Erica. She had found a queer community of her own. And of course, Erica is one of countless people who have found community at YBR. Like Amanda, the GM.
3: I love this bar for the people that are in it. Like, it's not only just like a dive bar, but it's kind of like a family bar. Like, everybody just gets along, takes care of each other, and it's always just been like an open, loving atmosphere.
0: Like Sarah, Amanda is straight. And also like Sarah... She identifies quite passionately as an ally.
3: I am an ally. To everybody, they're like, what do you mean you're straight? Like, are you straight, straight? I'm like, yes, just like you're gay, gay. Like, I'm straight, yes. Despite Kevin's initial efforts to make
0: YBR all-inclusive, by the time Amanda started working there around 2014, it was more of an exclusively lesbian bar. Like,
3: just all women, I mean, it was just like all lesbians.
0: YBR wasn't exactly marketing itself as exclusive, but existing patrons had a way of protecting their space.
3: I don't think being a straight male would feel very comfortable in that kind of atmosphere. (laughs) I think that they would just make them so uncomfortable that they would leave because it would literally like every time a door opens here, everybody's like, "Who who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I mean, it's usually just the staring, like just like burning holes into them. But then the culture started to shift. The marriage equality came through and a lot of Tulsa just like opened up. As Tulsa became more accepting of LGBTQ folks, it felt
0: less necessary for YBR to remain a sacred spot for lesbians only. Lesbians, after all, could more easily frequent other bars,
3: and non-lesbians seem to pose less of a threat. Everybody's like, "Well, heck yeah! I get to go out and like be who I am and go out into the public and go to these different spaces I've always wanted to go to, but you know, I've not felt comfortable, you know, leaving my little home bar. Like it's still their home bar, but everybody's able to like go and be their own person out in public and and not be such a Stigmatic, like, problem as it used to be.
0: It was about seven years ago that Amanda started bartending at YBR. She was promoted to manager about two years after that. And although she's not an outright owner, she pretty much runs the place.
3: For the most part, yeah, I do have um, most creative control, you know, within reason. But I'm over, you know, like, staffing and having events and doing a lot of community outreach whenever we can. Ownership of YBR has changed hands
0: a few times since Kevy sold back in 2006. But Amanda herself doesn't have a full grasp of YBR's history, at least not before her time there. Though she knows some people who do.
3: I don't, and I've been trying to figure it out, and I've been talking to some of like the old school schoolers that used to come in here that still do. So while we were there visiting, Amanda made a few phone calls. And
0: that's how we got introduced to Sarah, who came out to meet us at the bar after getting the call from Amanda. Sarah's relationship with YBR started during college in the early 2000s.
1: Back then, there were booths, so where there's the side tables, there were booths there and uh, where the dartboard is, like just in front of that, there used to be a cage. (laughs) Presumably for dancing purposes, that's what it was largely used for and Things related to dancing that were less appropriate for public. Um <laughs> But yeah, it was there was just a cage and there people, girls were gonna dance. In addition
0: to the cage, there also used to be a lot of Oz-themed decor. But according to Amanda, a lot of
3: that was stolen over the years. People donate stuff to us all the time. Like we just had these two big like poster pictures that I still need to hang up. We used to have Multiple red shoes throughout the bar, and you know I don't know where they went. <laughs> Sometimes people like to take mementos home with them. But back to Sarah.
1: Okay, so I started coming here when I was in college at TU. Um, we'd come in to study, and it would evolve to chaos. But I didn't drink in those days, so YBR did five dollar pizza and pitchers on Mondays, like bottomless pitchers. So Mondays was my cleanup night. I'd come in and pick up all of my drunk friends out of the booths and escort them to their homes. While Sarah was in college, YBR was still owned
0: and run by Kevy, the original owner. But a few years later, a man named Kenny would take over.
1: He was just this rowdy old biker guy, like exactly like what you'd imagine. This this big guy with everybody drinking and having a good time, buying shots.
0: The manager, for most of the time Kenny owned YBR, was a woman named Lori. Unfortunately, Lori herself didn't respond to any of our interview requests. But a lot of Sarah's information about YBR's history around this time originally came from Lori. According to Sarah, Lori and Kenny were particularly close.
1: Lori was much more like a daughter to Kenny, like where they was very playful. They, they would give each other shit and joke and play and It was much more father-daughter.
0: Kenny lived in a neighboring apartment behind the bar. And when he passed, back in 2012, it was Lori that found him there.
1: She had to break in to be able to open YBR. And she climbed up um, on the roof. There's this little flat spot like uh, below a second window, the second story window, and she got up on there.
0: Kenny had left YBR to Lori. But after he passed, the bar closed for about a year as it changed owners and Lori began renovations.
1: She changed out the carpet. She pulled the booths out. She pulled the cage out. She put new walls up. For a rented building, she did a lot of work.
0: But in that time, Lori ran out of money. So she was connected with a local businessman and former Tulsa City councilor.
1: Hi, my name is Blake Ewing. I own Joe Mama's Boomtown Tees and the Max Retro Pub. He owns several bars around downtown. And he sold himself as like this really good guy that was just going to, you know, just going to throw some cash at it and otherwise be kind of a silent partner. And that's not really what happened.
0: So Blake bought out Lori in 2013. They reopened the bar with Lori as manager, but they never really got on
1: the same page. It was my experience when Blake had it that it didn't get what it needed. It just did not get any attention or supply like Like, we would get, like, liquor orders and stuff, but when we needed something done, it just wouldn't happen.
0: Lori left YBR not long after the reopening in 2014. Blake Ewing, on the other hand, would soon run into his own financial troubles.
2: The Archer Market, or what became known as the Folk Pantry in downtown Tulsa, is claiming Tulsa City Councilor Blake Ewing had a role in the business's short existence. The owners of the Folk Pantry, or Archer Market LLC, claim they began to notice that money was missing from
4: a line of credit the business had obtained.
0: In 2014, a Tulsa grocery store, formerly in business with Mr. Ewing, filed a lawsuit alleging that he stole over $121,000 from them to support some of his own businesses. In 2016, Mr. Ewing was sued once again, this time by investors in one of his other bars. Court documents state almost $320,000 was transferred from the Max account to one of Ewing's other businesses, The Engine Room, for no justified purpose. Documents also state more than
2: $40,000 in the Max accounts were used for Ewing's personal benefit, buying
0: things like gas, food, basketball tickets, airfare, vet bills, even musical gear. And trust me, this is an abridged version of Blake Ewing's financial and legal history. But all of this is to say that by 2016, Ewing was in no position to continue running YBR.
2: The previous owner you know, needed money, and uh, so I took over the you know, facility and paid them for it.
0: This is YBR's current owner, Dr. Farshid Zandi. He'd known Blake Ewing for a while through mutual friends. Dr. Zandi is an internal medicine specialist affiliated with St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa. So why did he want to buy a lesbian bar?
2: You know, I kind of fell into it because well, I, was, I was looking at some investment, something to invest in and, you know, to diversify, you know, my assets and stuff. So that came up and then he had several, uh, I think, four other bars. So, I ended up just talking to him and making a deal and purchasing all of them.
0: So, he actually ended up buying four bars, all formerly owned by Blake Ewing. But Dr. Zandi is more like a silent partner.
2: No, 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 I'm not hands on at all. It's hands off. I got a manager there. She does a great job, and she takes care of everything.
0: But let's rewind a couple years. Amidst all of that chaos, Sarah had been hired as a bartender in 2014. This is shortly after Lori left, with Blake Ewing still as owner. At the time,
1: Sarah had been working for Oklahoma DHS for about four years. I'd been doing social work for the state, and it's it's a hard job. So I had a epic day job meltdown and quit suddenly. She'd grown tired and skeptical of the DHS system. What I saw was that a lot of what happened... And what choices were made became about who you knew versus what was really best for the kids or the agency or anything. Like it was never, I feel like what was best for the kids versus what was best for the agency was consistently at odds. The day Sarah quit, she was working a case where she thought the kids were really at risk. That was a day that a case got safety plan that I didn't think had any business being a safety plan. Safety plans are certain guidelines implemented by DHS.
0: It ensures kids will be safe while remaining in their parents' care. This is typically an option for more mild DHS cases, where it's not necessary to remove the kids from their home. But Sarah felt very strongly, in this case,
1: that was necessary. It was a domestic abuse case. It was severe. Um, The dad had come over the table at me in the safety plan meeting. It had no business being a safety plan. But because of the supervisor involved... He got to push the agenda. He got to push it for what he wanted because he was well liked. And that was her breaking point. We had a meeting, and uh, at the end, somebody looked at me and goes, Remember, we're the good guys. And I just looked back and said, Are we? And left. Um, There was only so much I could take. Coming into
0: YBR around that time only solidified Sarah's decision to leave DHS.
1: I was watching all the girls, like, Megan was behind the bar, Lori, like, all the old crew. And I looked at my friend and I was like, this is what I want to do. Two months later, I was behind the bar. So in July of 2014,
0: Sarah officially started bartending at YBR. She had just turned 30, broken up with her longtime boyfriend, and quit her government job. But at last, she felt like she was finally helping people.
1: Yeah, I got. I definitely, I got to see... The help people got here. I got to see people build community and find homes and find themselves in this permission to be this raw, authentic version of themselves. Like it is not. It was not weird to walk in and have people dancing in the front, and then somebody crying like hysterically at a side table. While two other people were like, "We got you. We've all been here. Let's do it. <laughs> Cry it out." Bartending and social work are pretty much the same job. Just that one pays less and has a lot more paperwork.
0: (laughs) And when she needed the most, Sarah's family at YBR was there for her too. In 2015, Sarah's mom, the gym teacher that introduced her to the queer community, was diagnosed with brain cancer.
1: When I needed to leave suddenly because I needed to go take care of her, somebody would cover the bar. When I needed to take a break for an hour because I was having a panic attack because my mom was dying. Um, Somebody would cover the bar. Like, I have a very distinct memory of a friend in full drag putting uh, cold towels on my back out here while I cried just because I was like, oh, shit, (laughs) it's happening. And I was standing right there the night I got the call that she was dead.
0: Sarah's mom passed on November 20th, 2015.
1: Uh, I walked back in the door and my best friend was sitting at the bar and I looked at him and I just said, She's gone. And my legs were going out from under me like I couldn't stand. At that moment, one of the other bartenders opened the door, just coming in to drink, and saw me dropping and knew what happened. She caught me before I hit the ground and they closed down the bar. Regulars were just I had to tell people to stop hugging me. I was like, this is a lot, and I can't breathe, y'all. <laughs> like, I appreciate the love, but let me get back to you.
0: Everyone stayed late that night, drinking to Sarah's mom.
1: We drank a lot, and I mean a lot, of Jameson that night. So the liquor report was short the next week. We all get this raging text, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's from the night my mom died. don't know. manager goes, say no more. It's good. <laughs> We've got it covered. It's erased.
0: Sarah's mom lived in Oklahoma City and was only ever able to come into the bar twice, in October of 2014, and then again around Easter of 2015.
1: She just wanted to see it. We walked around, like, because it was it's smoking, that was hard on her, so we didn't stay long. But we had these mason jar glasses at the time, and she was missing part of her lip, but she could drink out of the glasses here. <laughs> So I looked at the bartender and was like, I'm taking two, bye. (laughs) He was like, do it. (laughs) From just these two
0: visits, Sarah's mom immediately understood why YBR was so special to her daughter.
1: My mom deeply encouraged me to buy it. Like, she really, she came and she saw it and she said, this is your home. Like, I get it. And that's always stuck with Sarah. I tried for years to buy this place. I love this bar in a way that I can't. It's not a replaceable feeling. A few times, actually, Blake
0: Ewing and Blue Ox would entertain the idea of selling YBR to Sarah.
1: But they always changed their minds at the last minute. There were several opportunities, and or I was told there would be opportunities, and we'd come up to it. I had a backer, like I two at one point. And then, no, we're not going to do it. Sarah believes that the
0: bar should be owned by someone that truly has a passion for it and for serving the community, not just someone
1: that sees it as a business opportunity. I would love to see this place really thrive again. Um, and I don't know, without somebody that really, really loves it, that it does. Um, and if you're just a business owner, if you're just wanting to run a simple business, my probably not your bag. It's not something you're going to want to give the time or attention to. It's not, it's not a labor of love for you. Um, the nice part is that they've always kept staff that it is for like for Amanda. It's always a labor of love. Every stool out here, she's repaired at least six times. (laughs) I know because she's tried to send me to Lowe's for parts and I always get it wrong. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) But that's been the real saving grace is that the staff has always loved it.
0: Although Sarah holds YBR close to her heart and still visits as a patron, she left the staff in 2018.
1: That's a less pretty story. Um, We had some regulars here that had the alcoholism is pretty deeply progressed. And at some point I had to admit I was profiting off of killing my friends and I couldn't live with that. These are people that took care of me through breakups through my mother's passing through life. And I couldn't, I couldn't encourage them to hurt themselves when they had done so much to save me.
0: It seems that Sarah is always trying to figure out the best way to help people. And when it doesn't feel like she's doing that anymore, she moves on to the next thing. Now, Sarah's pursuing psychology. She got her master's degree this past December and is on track to becoming a
1: licensed counselor. The thing I loved about bartending was the people. I I loved getting to know everyone. I loved hearing their stories. I loved... I loved finding out about them. I loved getting to know them and helping where I could and when I could. Therapy was the best way to make the difference after that. I just charge a little more an hour now.
0: (laughs) Just as her time as a social worker informed her work as a bartender, so too has her time bartending informed her current work as a therapist.
1: It's given me a different... It's gonna be a different perception where I don't look at somebody and assume I know anything about you based on that, you know? I don't assume that the way you have shown up to my office is the way you feel inside.
0: Sarah might have shifted career paths, but she's never forgotten her mom's advice to hold on to a place as special as YPR. At one point, when I asked if she still wanted to buy the bar, she gave me a bit of a wink. As if to say, I'm not giving up on this
1: place yet. If it ever comes for sale, I'll still make the effort.
0: Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Carb, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman. Follow us along on our road trip and see pictures at our website, cruisingpod.com, or follow us on social media at cruisingpod. That's C-R-U-I-S-I-N-G-P-O-D. If you like cruising, want to support us, and get access to more content, then join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. Special thanks to Sarah, Kevin, Amanda, and Erica. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.